Thank you. I am, we are so glad to be back. So thank you so very, very much for your warm welcome. And uh, thank you for allowing us to go and have six weeks off. That is the very first time I've ever done that. And I've pastored for 23 to 24 years total. I've been pastoring since I was 21 or 22. And I'm 43. And so all those years I've pastored my first church in Kentucky. And now this is the second one. And I have never done that. And so thank you so much. And this is my 14th year here at this church. And so uh, thank you for allowing me to go. 14 years, almost 10 years in this building, four years at the other building on Annie Baxter and Joplin. So thank you so much. We've had a blast. We went to Florida and uh, the weather was great until the last day. And uh, Tiffany and I and the baby woke up to sirens going off in the city. They had a tornado. And I looked at Tiffany and said, can you believe this? And so we decided to come home a couple days early. And as we were leaving, there was trees everywhere. They had severe weather that day. And I said, well, that's fine. We, we had a great time, a great six days we were there and had a wonderful time. Uh, we did go by and see family in West Virginia, Kentucky. And then I, we did fly to Virginia to see Pastor Dallas because uh, they didn't know whether his dad was going to make it. So we did go see him for a couple days and flew back. And so uh, they're unable to be with us. His dad is improving, and we praise God for that. But we just want Pastor Dallas and Emily to take their time with their family and uh, as he recovers. And so we send blessings to them and continue to pray for our youth pastor. They will be back, uh, but we just want to let them have some time with their family as he recovers. Is that all right? So thank you so much for your prayers and your blessings. And I heard nothing but good things while we were away. And I know that Pastor Engel did a wonderful job preaching every week. And him and his wife are unable to be with us this morning. They are actually in Oregon. Uh, They had a family situation. Uh, One of their family members is very sick, and so they had to go there this this weekend. And so... um, So it just worked out, the timing worked out perfect. And so we send our prayers to them. And so I'm very grateful for Pastor Engel and all of his hard work and his study and uh, what he's done. So let's give it up for Pastor Engel, our teaching pastor, and let him know how much we appreciate him. But not only Pastor Engel, we have a phenomenal staff. And so I want to honor them as I, before I preach today, I want to honor our staff members who just got right in there and worked really hard while I was gone. And they work hard anyway, but especially while I was gone. And so I want to give it up for the pastors and their spouses. Uh, Pastor Doug and Connie, the discipleship pastor, would you stand, uh, honor them today? Would you give a great big God bless you to them? Thank you for all your hard work. Pastor Sean leading worship and his lovely wife, Danae, would you give a great big God bless you stand? Give them a great big God bless you. (laughs) Pastor Cameron, our kids pastor, and Kaylee, his wife, uh, they are here somewhere. The kids are in here. And so, yes, would you give it up for them and let them know? Thank you for all your hard work. (laughs) Pastor Dallas and Emily, of course, we miss them and send our prayers to them. 
Pastor Brandon, I want to especially give a great big thank you to him for all of his hard work. He has, and his wife Mandy. So would both of them stand, Brandon, Pastor Brandon, thank you so very, very much. I appreciate you so, so very, very much. Did I get all this pastoral staff? And, and, I, and Brother Sister Ingalls, so thank you, all the staff. Wonderful job. And I am excited about being here. I'm excited about preaching, and I'm excited that you're here. Uh, a church is not a, a building that you go to. A church is a community that you belong to. And so that's why it's special that we're together this morning and seeing your faces. And so thank you so very, very much. If you're a guest today, I've been gone for six weeks. And so that's why we're excited. I'm excited to be here. And so we welcome you here this morning. And, uh, and I give honor to my lovely wife, Tiffany, uh, who you know, we traveled and had a wonderful vacation together. And baby Reese, of course, is knocked out in my office. All right. So she uh, can only take so much of church and she's out. And, uh, but she had a wonderful time. Of course, you've seen the videos uh, on Facebook. She went to the zoo and had a wonderful time at the zoo. And we got to visit lots of churches. We went to Brownsville Assembly of God when we was in Florida and had a wonderful time there. I went to several churches here. We went to several churches in the area to support local pastors and did a wonderful, just had a wonderful visit with local pastors. And I never get to do that. And so that was a wonderful opportunity for me to do that, to show my support to other pastors. And so, amen. So with that being said, are you ready for the word today? All right. Would you just for a few moments look at the book of First Chronicles chapter 13? And I'm not going to be able to read everything because for the lack of time. So I will refer to the scriptures. They will be behind me, but I can't read the whole chapter. And so I'll just allude to the scriptures and you could see the scriptures behind me as we look. First Chronicles chapter 13 is what we're going to deal with this morning. And this morning I want to title the sermon, When God is in the house. Would you say that with me this morning? When God is in the house. Say it again. When God is in the house, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the name of your son Jesus. Thank you for the presence of God that we already sense in the building this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts, that we would hear your word, and that your word would go forth in power and in boldness, that we would be transformed. I pray that we wouldn't be conformed to the world, but we would be transformed by your word this morning, that we be found faithful and fruitful. Open our ears and hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone said a great big amen. When God is in the house. Say that with me. When God is in the house. Say it again. When God is in the house. I've thought long and hard and been reflect, reflective and prayerful about what I could share with you after six weeks. And obviously, I have lots of books in my office. If you've been to my office, it's very easy for me just to find a sermon in there. I have preached thousands of sermons. I could easily just go find a sermon I preached years ago and preached it, preach it again. I could find a book off of my shelf and rewarm it and preach it this morning. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to give you something fresh. I really wanted to evaluate my own heart. I wanted to ask the Spirit, where are we 
in this season of time? What do you want to speak to us? In fact, I had a sermon prepared. And then last night, I sensed as I was studying it again, that I was to be moved in a different direction. And so I'm going to follow my heart this morning and do what I feel the Spirit is leading me to do this morning. And uh, when you look at First Chronicles chapter 13, uh, you find an interesting story about the ark of God and the presence of God. Now, if you know anything in the Old Testament, you'll find that one of the very most prized possessions that they had was the Ark of the Covenant. And for us, uh, for those of us that's not familiar with the history of the Old Testament, the Old Testament deals with a people, which is God's people. They're called the Jews or the Hebrews. The Old Testament deals with not only a people, but it deals with a place. God gave these people a piece of land. That land was later called Israel. Not only does the Old Testament deal with a people, a place, but it deals with a purpose. And the purpose of that, God gave those people a piece of land so that they could be a city set on a hill to demonstrate to the world that there's one God. Now, of course, you find there's a plethora of books in the Old Testament of prophets preaching to these people, telling them to be careful not to forsake the true God and worship other gods. And of course, they did that multiple times. But one of the things that you will find in the Old Testament is one of the very most prized possessions that they had was a temple. They had a tabernacle which was movable. It was later built in a physical structure, a permanent structure called the temple. The temple was a place of worship. And they had an ark. The ark of the covenant was a box that God would dwell between the cherub's wings. And so they did, they did, they would do sacrifices and they would perform rituals in the presence of the ark in the temple. And it seemed to be that anytime the ark of God was in their midst, they won the battle. They won victories. They would celebrate how victorious their God was because their God went before them. In ancient Near East, most pagan nations would have symbols of their gods. They would have banners. They would have idols. They would demonstrate their God as they went into battle. Well, the children of Israel understood that you can't replicate God. He's invisible. He's a spirit. But they had a box which symbolized God's presence. God would come down and dwell between the wings of the cherub on the ark. And when they took the ark into battle, they usually won. And here in the book of 1 Samuel, something happened. Their heart became wrong. They, they begin to focus on the ark and not really focus on God. And because of that... The Bible says it was taken into captivity. Their enemy, the Philistines, took the ark into captivity. They took it into captivity. And the people of God no longer had the ark. They didn't have the ark any longer. And they find themselves losing because the presence of God wasn't among them. 
And you find this in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And David, who is the king, in chapter number 3, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 3, I want you to see what happens here. Now, I just gave you a little history lesson, and I want you to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse number 3. 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse number 3. I want you to sing King David. King David is inquiring of the Lord, and he's making a statement here that he wants the ark back with them. He says, let's bring the ark back. We need the presence of God back in our lives. We need it back in our nation, and we need it back in our homes. Well, guess what? Verse number 8 of the same chapter, 1 Chronicles 13, verse 8, the people agreed. And guess what happened? They had a great celebration. The Bible says they played music before God with all their might. They began to sing with their harps and string instruments. How many knows that was a Pentecostal service right there? They praised God with all of their might. Some people say, well, I don't know why all these people are jumping up in church and all this loud music for. Well, it's it's a custom that when the people of God would rejoice, they would get the instruments out, got the tambourines out, got the cymbals out. They blew the trumpets and they praised God with all of their might. Now, you don't have to do that every time we come together. But how many knows that every once in a while, it's all right to make a joyful noise unto the Lord? Can I hear an amen? It's it's all right to praise God with all of your might. It's all right to sing and rejoice and lift the instruments up. So the people rejoiced. They agreed with the king. Let us, let's, let's bring it back. And then the Bible says in the same chapter, verse number nine, the Bible says that a man by the name of Uzzah He put out his hand to hold the ark, for the ox stumbled. So obviously they're in a celebration, and the ark of the covenant was on a cart. It stumbled, and a man that was in the worship service by the name of Uzzah reached out to grab the ark. And the Bible says... In verse number 10, or excuse me, verse number uh, 10, that the anger of the Lord was against Uzzah, and he struck him. Now, I've read this scripture many times before, and I'm sure that you have too, in your daily Bible reading, and you're like, what's the point here? Here is the pastor, Pastor David, the king. He's like, let's get the presence of God back. We need the ark back. And they had a Pentecostal service. And in the midst of their Pentecostal service, the Bible says that Uzzah died. God struck him dead. Now, why did he die? I think it's perfectly understandable that most of us would say that doesn't make sense. It's good to have the presence of God among us, but why in the world would God strike a man dead if he's trying to hold up the ark? the presence of God. Because the Bible says in 1 Chronicles 15 verse 2, I want you to see it. I'm going to allude to it. 1 Chronicles chapter 15 verse number 2. And this is recorded in other places, but for the sake of time, I'll just re- I'll just read this scripture to you. The Bible says that David said, "No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites." For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and minister before him forever. And the Bible says, look at this, 1 Chronicles 13, verse number 7. 
First Chronicles 13 verse 7, the Bible says they carried the ark on a new cart. So in other words, God struck us a dead because they didn't follow instructions. God said, if you're going to carry the ark, there is a certain protocol in a certain way I want you to carry the ark. If you don't obey my commandments, then there'll be judgment. The ark was to be carried by the Levites. The Levites were the priesthood. Or let's push the envelope. They're the pastors. They're the clergy. You carry it on the shoulders of the Levites. Don't put it on a cart. You see, my friends, that's the first thing I want you to see in this chapter. Number one, worship without the word leads to destruction. Worship without the word leads to destruction. Could you say that with me loud and clear on the count of three? One, two, three. Worship without the word leads to destruction. They had a Pentecostal service, didn't they? They had the tambourines. They had the harps. They danced. They shouted. They had the presence of God, but they didn't obey the word of God. And the word of God was, there is a certain way that you are to carry it. You can't do it. What, you can't do it according to the way you think it should be done. Now, I want to say this because I think it's important, is that we are living in a generation, especially in this society that you and I live in, this postmodern society, we want to do church differently, don't we? We want to be relevant. We want to reach the masses. We want to reach people. And if we're not careful, listen to pastor, if we're not careful, we will begin to put things on new carts and we will disobey the word of God. This pastor here is in no attention want to bring out a new cart. I believe the old way still works, worship still works, and the word still works. It's nice that we have lights. It's nice that we have nice buildings and padded seats. It's okay for the lights and smoke. I'm okay with all that. But let us not forget that what really works is worship and the word. That is still the old way. We don't need another new cart to try to bring people in. Worship and the word still works. And there are people that will go to a worship service and worship God for three hours, but they won't come to a class and learn the scriptures. They won't come to class and learn the word of God. We are more interested in our theatrics than we are theology. And that is the problem in the modern day church. When we worship our theatrics instead of getting into theology, that is when we get into trouble trouble. Christ's point, I am calling this church to be a church of theology, not just theatrics. I'm calling you to go back to the old way and let's do away with the old, the, the new cart and let's get back to the worship and the word because it still works. Is there anybody in the building that says, pastor, I agree with you. It still works. It still works. Worship without the word leads to destruction. They Worship God, but they didn't give heed to the word of God. Listen, my friends, we need both. We need both. And this is what happens. Let's go on with the story. First Chronicles 13 verse number, first Chronicles 13 verse number 12. The Bible says, let's just go on with the story in the chapter. The Bible says after Uzzah died, the Bible says David became afraid. He says, how in the world can I bring the ark of God to me? 
Now, how many would agree with pastor that if you saw the Lord strike somebody dead, you'd probably have the same response as David. David got really afraid. He says, you know what he said here? Dude, I'm not taking this box to my house. I'm not taking the box to my house. Can you imagine what David's doing? David is looking at the Pentecostal worship service. Nobody's banging the tambourines. Everybody's really hush-hush. God just struck somebody dead. Everybody's like, what just happened? David is like, I know one thing, it ain't coming to my house. But there was a man by the name of Obed-Edom. Everybody say Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom the Gittite. Look at it. Verse 13, first Chronicles 13, verse 13. So David would not move with the ark with him into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. He took the ark, not to his house, but there's a man by the name of Obed-Edom took it to his house. Now, up until now, nobody knows who Obed-Edom is. Who in the world is this man? This man is not a king. This man is not a mighty man. This man has not even been heard of until now. This man is a Philistine. How do I know that? A Gittite. Obed-Edom the Gittite. The Gittites is a Philistine from the Philistine tribe. He's not a Jew. He doesn't belong to the Lord. He's really a nobody. And all of a sudden, Obed-Edom is like, I'll take the ark. You can put it in my house. Number two, my favorite point in this passage, number two. Somebody has to be bold enough and strong enough to say, I'll take it. Hallelujah. Obed-Edom was bold enough to say, if nobody else wants the ark, if nobody else will take it into their house, I'll take it into my house. Pastor, what are you saying? As a church, and as a community, and as an individual, somebody has to be bold enough to say, it's okay to have all the theatrics, but I am bold enough to declare that I want the presence of God. I'll take it. Is there anybody in the building that will stand up like Obed-Edom and say, if nobody else wants the power, if nobody else wants the presence of God, I want the power and I want the presence of God in my life, in my church, and in my community. Somebody has to say, I'll take take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll be different. Somebody has to be different. Most of our homes is average. Most of our churches are average. Most of our finances are average. Somebody has to step out and say, I want to be different. I'll take it. Obed-Edom said, I'll take it. A nobody. He's not a mighty man. Nobody knows of this man, but he's bold enough to take it. You may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I promise you, if you're clean enough, God will take you out and use you. 
God will take you out and use you. He said, I'll, I want the presence of God. Can you imagine when the ark came into his home? Now, obviously, their homes were different than ours, probably much smaller. And they brought the ark into his home for three months, the Bible says. They didn't know what to do with it. But one man was bold enough to say, I'll take it. Put it in my house. And they put the ark in his house. Now, I thought about this. I'm sure that Obed-Edom and Mrs. Obed-Edom had to rearrange their house to put the ark. I'm sure they had to move the TV over to the corner. I'm sure they had to move the baby pen over to the corner. I'm sure they had to rearrange their furniture to put the ark in the house. And I'm saying to you today, if you want the presence of God in your house, you're going to have to start rearranging some things. If you want the presence of God in your house, you're going to have to start prioritizing some things. If you want the presence of God in your house, there are some shows that you're going to have to cut off. And there are some conversations that you're going to start having to have. If you want the presence of God in your house, you're going to have to start making God a priority. If you're going to possess it, you got to prioritize it. If you're going to possess it, you got to prioritize it. If you're going to possess it, you got to prioritize it. If you're going to possess it, you got to prioritize it. You got to rearrange your house so that the ark can have a priority in your house. Listen, this is important because we need the presence of God in our homes. I'm a firm believer that one of the reasons why the children of God really didn't possess the promised land wasn't because they didn't have a good heart. It was because their homes were messed up. Look at it. First, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter number 1 and verse number 26 Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 26. I want you to see what this scripture says. I believe that the reason that the children of Israel never possessed the promise is because of this scripture. First, Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 26. And the Bible says, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter number 1 verse 26. I don't know if that's the scripture. And I think it's my fault. Can you give me a moment to find it? Deuteronomy chapter number 1. And verse number 27. Yes, that's right. Verse 26. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Look at verse number 27. And the Bible says, And you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Did you see what the Bible says? Verse 27. They complained in their tents. Their tent was their home. They went to a tabernacle that was the movable structure. It was later converted into a temple, a permanent structure. Their tents were their home. So in other words, the scripture is telling us that the main problem with the children of Israel is that their homes were out of whack. Their homes, they were doing something at the tabernacle, worshiping God, but their homes were a wreck. They complained in their tents. 
My friends, some of you want to come to church and get the victory, but your home is messed up. Your home is out of whack. The enemy wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your marriage. If you're going to make it in 2024, you got to put your home as a priority and you got to put the presence of God as a priority in your home. And I thank God for the 10 people that agreed with me, but I'm going to say it again. We need revival in our homes. We need the presence of God in our homes. We need some fathers that know how to pray with their families. We need some fathers that sit down and pray with their sons and their daughters. We need some mothers who know how to put worship music in on the house and sing and worship God and create an atmosphere of love and acceptance and the presence of God. We need to get our homes, our tents back in priority with the power and the presence of God. We need some more Obed-Edoms. Obed-Edom said, I'll take it. I'll take the presence of God. Why is this important, Pastor? Because the weight of the responsibilities of your life cannot be supported by the shallowness of your relationship with God. That's why this is important. Because as you progress in life, the responsibilities of your life will get heavier. And if the root system of your life is shallow, you will crumble. You will crumble. Somebody must be bold enough to say, I'll take it. It, It's interesting. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 14. Let's go on with the story. 1 Chronicles 13, verse 14. The Bible says, verse 14, the ark of God remained in the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. My friends, I love that scripture. The ark was in his house for three months and the Lord blessed him. Not only blessed him, but blessed everything Obed-Edom had. Hallelujah. It kind of corresponds with the New Testament analogy at the Christmas story. In the Christmas story, you had an innkeeper who said no to the power and the presence of God. No to Mary and Joseph. You're not welcome. We don't have room in our house, in our inn for you. But Obed-Edom reverses the story. He receives the ark of God into the presence of God. He receives the ark of God and the presence of God into his house. And it changed his life. His whole house was blessed. Mrs. Obed-Edom was blessed. Baby Obed-Edom was blessed. The dog and cat got blessed. His cupboards got blessed. His health got blessed. Everything that he had was blessed. I feel like you need to focus on verse 14. Everything he had, all that he had was blessed. That means everything was blessed. Everything was blessed. It was remarkable. Obviously, it was so remarkable that in chapter 15, the Bible says David was aware of it. King David got wind of it, that he dropped the ark off at a nobody's house, 
And that nobody's becoming a somebody and everybody's hearing about the nobody. The blessing of God started to overtake Obed Edom's life. And guess what? My goodness, when I, <laughs> when I was studying this, I just could not contain myself because I didn't know this. Now, I had to make sure I was correct, so I looked at some resources to make sure that I was correct, and I w- it was correct. And one of the things I found was after he got blessed, Obed-Edom, his life was so changed, the Bible says he started to do something. Look at it. First Chronicles 15, verse 24. 15, verse number 24. 15, verse 24 The Bible gives this whole long list of all these descendants. And then at the end of the verse, it says Obed-Edom was a doorkeeper of the ark. In other words, Obed-Edom's life was so changed as a result of having the presence of God in his house that Obed-Edom was like, I can't go back to my former life. I can't go back to what I was doing. In matter of fact, I give all of that up and I'm going to be a doorkeeper for the presence of God. I'm going to be a doorkeeper for the power and presence of God. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying that when the power and the presence of God is evident in your life and cultivated in your homes, you will never be the same ever again, and you can never go back to what you experienced. You will desire more and more and more. When you come to church, it won't just be about... Uh, uh, praying for things, you will live in a state of maintaining it. We, we have a tendency to pray for joy, but we, we, we don't maintain the joy. You know what I'm talking about? We, we don't have faith to maintain. We, we have faith for salvation, but we don't have faith for the promises. We have faith for the wilderness, but we don't maintain the Canaan land. We have faith for heaven, but we don't have faith for the kingdom to come on earth. We got, we got faith to get out of the boat, but we don't know how to walk on the water. What are you saying? I'm saying that when you experience the presence of God in your home, not the church, but in your home with your family, it has a way of changing everything about you. It changes everything about you. Obed-Edom decided to be a doorkeeper for the ark. I don't know. Maybe Obed-Edom worked at the Piggly Wiggly. I don't know. And there's nothing wrong with working at the Piggly Wiggly. Oh, Pastor, some of you are like, i got to do my face. I almost forgot how to do it. How do you do it, Pastor Brandon? There's nothing wrong with that. You are a designer of moments. You you have the ability to change the culture of your home. He became a doorkeeper. He left his job. Become a doorkeeper. You know why I love this story? I love this story because if you push the envelope a little bit, you'll see something. First Chronicles 26, verse number 1. First Chronicles 26, verse 1, tells us about everybody that's a doorkeeper. So there were other doorkeepers. 
Obed-Edom is one of them. But I want you to look at verse number 8 of chapter 26. And this, it gives us the indication, 1 Chronicles chapter 26 verse 8, it says that the sons of Obed-Edom, what are the sons? His sons were doorkeepers as well. And the Bible says his sons were mighty men. They were able men and able to work. Now, my friends, I want you to listen to pastor. I hope that you see what's happening in this story. Here is a man that's a nobody. King David is afraid to take the presence of God in his own home. The Ark of the Covenant ends up at a house of a nobody. It stays in his house for three months. He gets blessed. Everything he has is get, gets blessed. He's overwhelmed with the blessing of God. His life is changed. He leaves his profession and becomes a doorkeeper in the house of God. And now the Bible says his children are now doorkeepers in the house of God. What are you saying? I am saying this. It is not what you leave your children that matters. It's what you leave in your children that matters. Some of you will buy everything in the world to appease your children. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a father. I know how that feels. But the greater challenge is this. What are you leaving in them? You're not called to protect them from everything. You're called to prepare them for battle. You're called to prepare them to be a man of God and a woman of God that knows how to fight against the forces of darkness. And can I hear an amen? That we're not called to raise up a bunch of slaves. We're called to raise up a bunch of servants and soldiers in the army of God. Here is Obed-Edom. His life was changed. And his children become doorkeepers for the ark because it affected his household. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying that the church is so used to the methods of the flesh to appease people because so many people are living after the flesh. The word and worship still works. Putting God as a priority in your family still works. And if you put the presence of God as a priority in your family, it really does bless everything that you have. What about it, my friends? What about fathers and mothers? What does it mean, pastor? What, do you, what does it mean? You're using churchy language here. Put the presence of God in my home. Do you mean I got to put some music on and speak in tongues all day? What do you, what do you mean, pastor? That's a good question. Because I grew up in church and, you know... I have an analytical mind, and I often would think, uh, most of the time I was confused in church because it was so churchy, you know. I'm sitting as a 10-year-old boy at church. Who do I pray to, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Ghost? I mean, are they all gods, or do I pray to one? You know, I'm just, you know. So let me just break it down to you. What does it mean that I have the presence of God in my home? It means two things. Number one, awareness. That I am aware of God's priorities. I'm aware of what God expects. I'm aware that my money is not mine. It's God's. So if my money is not mine, it is a resource instead of a source, then I got to do what God says. These children are not mine. They're a gift from God. So I 
am the greatest example of a Christian that my father or son will ever see, so i got to live it in front of them. You are aware of the priorities of God. And number two, action. Not just being aware of it, but putting it into action. In other words, start small. Maybe it is every evening you can have a conversation about God in your home. Maybe once a week you pray together as a family. Or maybe every other evening, maybe the father can sit down and read a Bible story to the children. Maybe it's sitting down being present with your children when they come home. Instead of giving them presence, let's be present. Being aware and taking action. Let me ask you a question. Are you cultivating the presence of God at your house? Paul Washer said this and I quote, Your children will go to the public school and they will be trained for somewhere around 15,000 hours in an ungodly secular system. And then they go to Sunday school and color a picture of Noah's Ark and think that they're going to be able to stand against the lies of the devil in the postmodern society. And I'm not saying we have wonderful kids, pastors, they don't color. You know, Pastor Cameron really does teach them the word. He really does. But let me say this. If you expect two hours once a week is enough, that your child is fully trained against the wiles of the devil, you are greatly deceived. It has to start at the house. It has to start in your tents. You have to start cultivating it and having conversations about it in your house. My friends, this is a greater reality for me as a father. For years, I've preached as a single person. And I have the advantage of knowing what it's like to pastor single. And the advantage of what it's like to pastor married and having a child. And the greatest example now is not only to be a person, my greatest ambition in life the greatest ambition is, number one, I want to be a person of prayer. That's, that's number one. Number two, my greatest ambition is to be a godly example to my child and to my spouse. And number three, my greatest ambition is to be a discipleship-making pastor. My friends, I'm calling the parents of this church to raise up soldiers for the next generation. The devil don't have to take your family and he don't have to take your children. God is just looking for an obed Edom to say, I am bold enough to declare, I will take the presence of God in my home. Give it to me. If nobody else wants it, I want it and I want to cultivate it in my home. Yes. I want to cultivate it in my home. What traditions and habits are you doing to promote the presence of God in your home? Listen, no father and mother is perfect. And this sermon is not to condemn anyone. You're not perfect. Your children need to know that. But you can have conversations with them. They need to see the imperfections of life. They need to see that life is not perfect. Marriage is not perfect. But in this The plans may fail, but we'll stay on the path. We're staying on the path, even though the plan may fail. What is the path? The path is praying together, teaching my children to be generous, 
teaching my children to be tithers, teaching my children to read the scriptures, teaching my children to have conversations with people, teaching my children to love one another, teaching my children knowing how to respond when somebody bullies them and say something to hurt their feelings, not lashing back at people, teaching my children to be a man and woman of God of character, raising up men and women for the next generation. My friends, that's my heart's desire. That's why I bring my child to church every time the doors are open because I know she's going to leave my house one day and the TV and the secular system and the secular society and the Babylon system of this world is going to try to ingrain the systems of the world into her. So every time the doors are open, I'm going to make sure I'm investing into the next generation because they are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. They're the church of today. Obed-Edom was a nobody. Obed-Edom was just brave enough to say, I'll take it. I'll rearrange my house. Mrs. Obed-Edom rearranged their house so they can put the ark in their house oh I'm sure there was inconvenience and there's going to be inconveniences for you when it's cold outside who wants to go to church it's easy just roll over in bed it's easy not to have conversations about God pastor I don't know the Bible what if they ask me a a question I can't answer that's okay it teaches your children you don't know it all It's not perfection. It's not perfection that matters. In the economy of God, it's not perfection, it's progress. In the economy of God, they were slaves who became soldiers. It was progress. In the economy of God, it was Egypt to Canaan. Progress. In the New Testament, it's called sanctification, progress. Not perfect, but I'm going to maintain awareness that we need the presence of God in our homes. Listen, they complained in their tents, and because they complained in their tents, God said, I'm not sure if you're ready. That's why we can have awesome services here. And then you go home to your tents and complain. The dichotomy between both of them. I believe that the church should be an overflow of what happens at the house. That you've cultivated the presence of God all week. When you come here, it's not strange. It's not abnormal. It's not weird. Because I've cultivated it in my home. Amen. Amen. That's the sermon I had to preach to you after being gone six weeks. You know why? Because I've been with my family for six weeks. And it's important to cultivate it at home before you ever come.
to the temple. 